my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Today's guest almost needs no introduction. We have Gloria Steinem, icon of the women's movement, journalist, and activist. Well, we have a lot of questions to try to tackle with you. Okay. I don't know if I have answers, but... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you do. Um, So... You had a very unusual childhood. How did that impact your early decisions in adulthood? What job to take, where to live? Because I'm not sure, of course, but I think because I didn't go to school that much, I don't think I went to school a full year uh, until I was in high school. So, uh, and because my family was traveling and so on, that may have contributed to the fact that I've never also had a job. I've always been a freelancer. Perhaps I never got accustomed to the idea of going to the same place every day. So um, 
it's been an advantage for a writer because I, I'm accustomed to working at home and to an irregular schedule, not to mention an irregular paycheck. At age 10, your parents separated and you became your mom's primary caretaker. How do you think that impacted decisions you made in your adult life? Well, that's deep, you know. Um, I, I think uh, I never wanted to become a woman alone with a child, which is what my mother was. And I also think in a way, because I had been a caretaker, it probably assisted in my feeling that I didn't have to have children. I didn't need to be a caretaker again. I'm not sure, but I think so. So you talk about growing up in a neighborhood where men were valued by what they did and women were valued by how they look and what their husbands did. Now, I have to say, I live in a neighborhood a lot like that today. So why does this construct still exist? Has it changed? Uh, well, it's changed a lot. It's changed a huge, huge amount. It's almost unrecognizable since the ancient days when I was growing up. But it is still true that especially if a woman has children, it's very difficult for her to make enough money to support herself and those children, even if she wishes to. So the traditional dependency uh, is way less frequent, but it's still present. And it's interesting to me that in a categorical way, those are the women who elected Trump. It was white women in the suburbs who were dependent on their husband's income. And so in a sense, were voting their interests, not their own interests. And why? If your identity, your name and your income depends on someone else, you vote for them. So I have to share a personal anecdote with you. When I met you was at the Makers Conference in 2014. And I imagine you have some of these moments in your life where you look back on them and you just are mortified and embarrassed. And my <laughs> moment of meeting you is one of those in my life. And I'll tell you why. It's because I asked you to take a picture with me and then I didn't like the way I looked and asked you to retake it. Mm-hmm. And I, but why is that so terrible? I mean, I maybe I didn't like the way I looked. Either. I don't well, know. <laughs> I just felt like here you are, this icon of you know women's empowerment and strength, and I was focusing on something so superficial. I was so excited to meet you, and I transformed it into something so superficial. Well, I I don't remember it in that way. You remember it in that way, so you're endowing it with the feelings that went into it, but it probably was a perfectly reasonable request. Well, in general, how do you think about beauty? I mean, beauty has been such a theme in how people talk about you. And then when I just read your book, The Revolution from Within, it really seemed like you are this incredible intellect and academic. And a lot of people only see you as this beautiful feminist. Mm. So how do you think of beauty in your life? First of all, beauty is uh, no credit to us, and also it perishes, so it's not a good thing to depend on. And I certainly resented it in the earlier years, uh, when the movement was just getting started. And I remember, I mean, the most symbolic event for me was that Newsweek magazine uh, asked me to pose for a cover 
when they were doing their first ever cover story about the women's movement, which they thought, oh, maybe this little thing is newsworthy, you know. So, <laughs> so, so I said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to, you know, one white woman on the, no, that can't, that, you know, that so does not represent a movement. And they anyway took a, a, a photograph with a telephoto lens at a rally and put me on the cover of Newsweek anyway. And I so resented that because I thought it was bad for the movement to have a singular image. That isn't what a movement is. And how do you think about beauty today? I don't. Mm. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great things, the great fan-fucking-tastic things about being old is you don't think about it that much. I mean, you, <laughs> you, know, you, you wash and maybe you color your hair or you get a but the idea of being identified by how you look is sort of gone. You know, it's a prison that starts when you're about 10 and starts to end when you're 50 or 60. So it, it's kind of great. You know, it's free at last. <laughs> you wrote that women may be the only group that grows more ad radical with age. What do you mean by that? Well, it's part of what we were just discussing that you're, you're pretty much, not totally out of the beauty prison. I mean, probably neither men nor women are totally out of that. There are all kinds of men with toupees and, you know, plastic surgery. So, but <laughs> but you're, you're much more out of it. Uh, and you're past the time when you, if you have been identified with a partner or husband's uh, social identity, you're probably past that point. So I, I do think that, that women over 60 or so, like uh, girls before they're nine or 10, are the most free. So how do we break out of that prison between the ages of 10 and 50 or 60? How do we get past that? Well, I think we're encroaching on it, don't you? I mean, because uh, you know Marilyn Monroe famously thought her life was over at 30. So at least we've <laughs> we've gotten to sixty, uh, and I think I think that little girls uh, have been freed, especially by athletics. You know, for girls to identify with what their bodies can do as opposed to how their bodies look is huge. And there's also getting rid of racism because uh, that's profound in this country, and colorism used to exist within the black community is pretty much gone. So, you know, we can make a lot of progress by just understanding that each of us is born as a unique miracle <laughs> that could never have happened before and could never happen again. You know, one of the things you just touched upon, there's recently been a breakthrough regarding the awareness of systemic racism do you think the same strides have been made reg regarding gender bias? And if not, why not? Uh, you know, I think they're not exactly different because Black women are the leadership of the women's movement, in part because they experience double discrimination and in part because they see both kinds of discrimination. Even from the very first... Uh, public opinion poll that was done about women's opinions about the what was then called the women's liberation movement. Black women were more than twice as likely to support it uh, as white women were. 
and and look at the vote. I mean, I think 96% of black women voted for Hillary Clinton and 50-some percent of white women voted for Donald Trump. I mean, I rest my case. I, w- I want to pivot to your career. Um, can you talk about the launch of your career in your 20s? Well, I never thought I was launching a career. I mean, I didn't, the term career didn't. For, for one thing, we were working until we got married because that's that was still the pattern of the day. The It was more following what I cared about. I mean, I did notice that when I was writing, it was the only time I didn't think I should be doing something else. So I was freelancing. And I was trying to write about what I loved and care about, cared about, which was not that easy in the beginning because women's magazines were way more likely. I mean, they weren't interested in political articles or, you know, they had to have articles to support their advertisers about. <laughs> so I, I, uh, profiles was really were as far away as I could get. Right. What was the first piece that you remember being paid for? I think it was a piece in the New York Times on the op-ed page about Barbara Walters, I think, maybe, because she had just become the first woman on the Today Show who wasn't just serving coffee. So how did you start Ms. Magazine? Uh, well, um, I had been working at New York Magazine and helped to start it, so I understood a little bit of how you could start a women's magazine. Um, I I asked a lot of friends to come and sit in my living room and (laughs) see how they felt about it, because they were also women who had been writing for a variety of publications, and especially women's magazines. And we were all just kind of despairing of the women's magazines that existed, not because the editors weren't smart, great women, they were, but because they mainly were called upon for articles that supported advertisers. So, so there was be a whole article about hair care, even though we know how to shampoo our hair, <laughs> and a whole, another one about mascara, and maybe a celebrity fl- thrown in there. So we looked at Esquire and the Atlantic, and I don't know what else existed, and we thought, well, you know, why can't there be a, a magazine for women that has articles about things we actually want to read. Um, <clears throat> so because I was working at, at New York Magazine, I had the luck of, of, and the kindness of Clay Felker, who was the editor, who let us do a sample issue of, of Ms. Magazine with a separate cover in, in, as a bind-in in New York Magazine, <clears throat> and then as an independent one-shot issue. And it was on the newsstands. And I remember going to traveling to California. I was on a television show, and someone called and said, "You know, we can't find it on the newsstands." Then I called Clay Felker in a panic, and I said, "Oh, you know, it never got here. It never got here." And it turned out it had sold out. Wow. We had co- we had cover dated it spring, in case it just was there like a locks on the newsstand for a long time. We didn't want to be. We didn't want to embarrass the movement. Uh, and it sold out in eight days. Wow. So we realized how how crucial it was, and we got the most extraordinary letters, bags and bags full of letters that are now residing in the Smith College archive, I hope, <clears throat> with women saying, you know, I, I feel as if a friend came into my house. I feel mm. as if I've been alone, but 
now, you know, I, I, I know that I'm not crazy. The system is crazy. <laughs> How did you finance the magazine? Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had the success of the preview issue to go on. And so we had uh, subscribers already. You know, that was very important. And then because of a group then called Warner Communications, so they gave us a million dollars. And so with what should have been many times that and and the subscribers we had still from the New York uh, insert, we started it. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So you were engaged your senior year of college and you broke it off. And this is in the 1950s and this is unusual. How did you make that decision? Well, I just felt that if I got married, it was the last decision I would ever make. 
And it wasn't the fault of the man who was a wonderful person and still the handsomest person I've ever seen in my life. He looked like kind of a cashmere <laughs> prince, very tempting. And he had a way more interesting life than I did, which is why I had to go to India because I knew that if I stayed home and took a job as a researcher at Time Magazine, in those days, women researched and men wrote, you could only get a job as a researcher, that I would be too tempted. And I I remember walking around New Delhi and getting a, a, a telegram from him saying that this was my last chance. And unless I was coming home, he was going to get engaged to someone else. And I remember, you know, writing a kind of sad but congratulatory telegram to him you know we do these things little by little it it isn't as if we say hello i'm going to live this kind of life forever we do it one step at a time so speaking of marriage you made a very deliberate choice not to get married not to have children and then when you were 66 you met david bale and married him Mm. why well, we we loved each other, and we would have been together in any case. And he needed a green card. So he'd been born in South Africa, lived in England. <clears throat> he was constantly worried that, that the immigration office was going to knock on the door and take him away. <laughs> uh, so uh, I thought, well, you know, we've worked for 30 years to change the marriage laws. I would no longer lose my name, my credit rating, my legal residence. Also, we were going to see uh, my friend Wilma Mankiller, who was the chief of the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. And she offered us a Cherokee ceremony. So we got married kind of walking around the fire on her lawn. You know, who can resist that? It just seemed to make sense. I mean, if it had not been for his uh, legal status, there would have been no reason to do it legally. Was he the great love of your life? No. I mean, (laughs) you know what? That's what drives me crazy. Doesn't it drive you crazy that just because you got a marriage license, suddenly it's the great love of your life? There is no great love of your life. There are unique individual loves of your life. And I'm still friends with all my old lovers. Mm. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I also think it's really interesting growing up, like we are you know, taught about this fairy tale of the love of your life. I just turned 40 this year. And for me, one thing I've learned in my adulthood is that some of the great loves of my life are my best friends. Yes. I don't know. Our women friends, absolutely. And our men friends, right. And our old lovers. Marlo Thomas always refers to her old lovers as her council of advisors. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who are your best friends? I'm sorry that Wilma Mankiller is no longer here, but she was certainly a best friend. Alice Walker, uh, Amy Richards, who's a colleague as well. We work together all the time. Uh, Victoria Jackson, wonderful human being. It's a, a, a circle of, of women and old lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about the role of money in feminism? I think it's a measure of inequality for us that's very important when we see a man who's a parking lot attendant getting twice as much money as a woman who's a childcare attendant, you know, we say, wait a minute, it gives us a measure of what needs changing. Why is teaching still not well paid? Well, uh, largely because it's still, 
more a female profession than most other professions, you know, and you can just see that wherever. So what we're trying to do is to say not equal pay for equal work, but equal pay for comparable work Mm. so that the amount of skill or education involved is, is the measure, not, not race and not, not gender. And do you think that's changed over time? Yes, no, it, ha- it has changed over time. It, it just uh, is still very far. There's still a big gender and a big racial divide. So we just elected our first woman vice president. Have we made as much progress as you would have thought when you started Ms. Magazine? No. <laughs> you have to remember, you know, in, let's see, it was in 1972 that Shirley Chisholm, all by herself, took the white male only sign off the White House door. Hmm. That was a long time ago. Uh, She was running for president. She was only on the ballot in 14 states, I think. But, you know, she did raise people's uh, hopes and and imaginations. Now we have a vice president and a wonderful vice president. I mean, I'm so proud, you know, to feel represented by her in, in every way. But um, there was still a lot of resistance, say, to Hillary Clinton when she ran. And I, I think it's deep, you know, because I think that as long as children are raised mainly by women, that we are going to associate female authority with childhood. And people, not only men, but men especially, seem to feel regressed to childhood when they see a powerful woman, it's as mm-hmm. if they're, they're unmanned. It's as if they're eight again, which was the last time they saw one. Wow. Uh, and I, I, cause I noticed that in even my smart, wonderful grown up journalists, men friends and how they treated Hillary in the press. I think it's really interesting to see with Kamala, you know, she's very close to her sister who became a single mother when she was a high school senior and Mina, Kamala's niece, they're very close. And it's interesting to think about how we can reconstruct what we see as as families. Mm -hmm. How do you think we could reconstruct all of that to kind of change how we view women? Well, I think the, the most important part is to include men in it. You know, because until men are raising infants and little children as much as women are, it won't be equal because men won't be able to develop the uh, nurturing and emotional part of themselves, which they have just as much as women do. And of course, we see men who are loving, wonderful parents. So we, you know, we know that this is possible. And women are less likely to develop the... um, uh, achieving talent, whatever part of themselves they develop outside the home. It, you know, until we have democratic families, we'll never have a democracy outside the home. Mm, so true. One of the things I noted from your your book was that you talk about the kindness of your father and how because of him, you never selected men who weren't kind to you. You know, you mm. never selected violent men. That was not something you were ever attracted to. Talk about the, the role of self-esteem in all of this. Well, I think in, in what you just described, I think it's harder for a, a girl and a young woman who to know that there are men different from her father. 
So if she has grown up with a controlling or violent uh, or cruel father, it's hard for her to, harder anyway, for her to know that there are men who are not like that. It's normalized a little bit for her, or maybe it takes longer. So I think we see that in, in say, um, women who have married several times, that they often first married a man who was like their father before they could discover that there were other men. To, to follow up on the relationship point, how, how do you manage conflict in relationships? You seem to do it so gracefully because you've been in a lot of situations full of conflict. Uh, but you mean conflict within the relationship? Yes, yes. Of course you have differences, but I think there's been, it's been easier for me because I've been able to choose, I mean, most of the men I've met, I've met because we were in some social justice movement together. So we shared a lot of values. Um, I, I suppose a disproportionate number of men have been in a, a, a racial justice movement, have been of a different quote-unquote race because that kind of uh, gave us a shared context and they tended to understand what women were up against too. So I, I just, I think we've been able to share values and I was not with somebody, at least not since the very beginning, who expected me to lead a, a traditional role. Every day, as women especially, we all face microaggressions like any persecuted group. How do you deal with those microaggressions? Mm. Well, uh, I, I, I mean, I face fewer, so I'm not saying that, you know, my advice is <laughs> totally valuable because... Uh, Clearly, I face fewer, but I try to name it or to try to fix it. You know, I mean, if you one sign of, a, of an equal relationship is that each person is both talking and listening. So I try to remember myself to talk as much as I listen and mm -hmm. listen as much as I talk. And whether that's with women or men, that helps to create an equality in the moment that then becomes organic. And now for a quick break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Can we talk about Phyllis Schlafly? I, I watched uh, Mrs. America. How did you feel about that? Well, I didn't watch it, actually, because I knew it would drive me crazy. I mean, the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, the, the people who were doing it had, had given me and uh, others scripts in advance, so I knew it was bonkers from the beginning, and I told them it was bonkers, <laughs> because <laughs> Phyllis Schlafly had absolutely nothing to do with stopping the Equal Rights Amendment. It was the insurance industry. Uh, that state by state, you know, because the insurance industry was and maybe still is, I don't know, the, the, the one big national industry that isn't governed by federal regulations, it's governed state by state. So they did not want to equalize their actuarial tables because it would cost them a fortune. And when we got within three states of victory, they suddenly realized, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> uh, this is going to cost us a lot of money. And so probably they hired, I don't know exactly how Phyllis Schlafly got involved. I think in the series, it implied that she had been recruited elsewhere by the John Birch Society or somebody. Somehow she got involved, but she, as far as I know, she never changed one vote. Oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is amazing. My jaw's on the ground. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's oh. a problem with that series. I mean, people are, you know, writers and directors are welcome to do whatever <laughs> they want, but it, it falsified history mm-hmm. and it, it made it seem that women were each other's problem. Yes, there were women who were against the Equal Rights Amendment, but they weren't what stopped it. It was the economic interests that stopped it. Did you ever feel the weight of having an entire movement rest on your shoulders? No, because I doesn't. If I had disappeared anywhere along the way and if I disappeared tomorrow, the movement goes right on. It never, ever (laughs) was true. What do you worry about when you go to sleep now? Uh, uh, Why I haven't written, you know, uh, any part of the book that I'm supposed to be working on during the day. I've just been answering my emails. (laughs) (laughs) What book are you working on? Well, with two friends, I'm writing a book about the the black women who were always a disproportionate, as I was saying, a disproportionate part of the women's movement from the 60s and 70s forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of be, just because of the way it was reported. I mean, you know, even even when I was speaking, I was always almost always speaking together with Flo Kennedy or Margaret Sloan, or, you know, we were consciously speaking as, as a black woman and a white woman together. 
and the newspaper reporters would still report her as the civil rights movement and me as the women's movement. And we would always say, actually, mm. this is a scene in, in um, the movie of uh, The Glorious, too, in the Julie Taymor movie, that a reporter is treating Flo as if she's the part of the civil And we're saying, no, 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 we're both here as part of the women's movement. So it's, it's a definitional problem that has always been wrong. Do you have any regrets? Oh, yes. Tons of regrets. Right. Tons, tons, tons. I mean, uh, I mean, they're not they're not big regrets or conventional regrets, maybe, because it's not like I regret, I don't know, not having children or a conventional family or a job, <laughs> you know, things. like. That. But I, I regret wasting time hmm. because time is all there is, really. What do you feel you wasted time on? You know, watching television series and writing little things instead of something that that might last for tw- a little longer. What what role in your life does guilt play? Well, it certainly plays, you know, a, a role in the sense of what did I do today? How did I end up only doing emails? <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, also with friends, I think, um, oh, this friend is maybe not in a, such a good situation. Uh, is she okay? You know, I want to call her. Um, it's, it's more, you know, it's because I feel an emotional tie or a tie of purpose that I haven't really attended to. How do you take care of yourself? You mean, do, do I exercise? No, I've never been a person who exercised in a classic way or in a regular way. How do you think about the rest of your life unfolding? Well, I, I occasionally try to remind myself that even if I live to 100, it's not that long. Mm. But that does not seem to interfere with my thinking that I'm immortal in some, <laughs> some way. <laughs> And thinking you're immortal does not cause you to plan well. Well, we end every episode with a lightning round. So we would love to ask you a few quick questions that are more lighthearted. Okay. All right. Sam, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, But I I can't promise it's going to be lighthearted though, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't can't promise it's going to be quick either. (laughs) (laughs) Do you take anything personally? Sure. What was the last thing that hurt your feelings? I I was reading something about a long ago uh, campaign for Shirley Chisholm. And there was something very misunderstanding. You know, I had run as a delegate for Shirley Chisholm and it made it seem as if I hadn't supported her and that hurt my feelings. What book are you reading right now? Well, I'm, I'm actually not reading a book so much as referring to books I have read looking for quotes. For instance, here's Sex and World Peace, a totally wonderful book by a group of people, mainly Valerie Hudson. And it's very helpful because it explains that the status of women is a bigger predictor of world peace than anything else more than economics, more than hunger, more than border conflicts, not because women are more important, but because, as I was saying about families, the conflict between males and females in the family 
uh, normalizes conflict or normalizes hierarchy uh, other places. I have to ask, what is Gloria Steinem's morning beauty regimen? And do you color your hair? <laughs> I do. I do. We, we don't know what's under here, right? Uh, <laughs> And I started doing that in India. I mean, I was uh, coloring my hair darker because I was wearing saris. Then I came home and I was greatly influenced by Breakfast at Tiffany's, so I streaked my hair. <laughs> I just have continued to, to do that. That's my favorite movie. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is a wonderful movie, right? Um, and other than that, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, soap washing and moisturizer and uh, kind of some some kind of cream tinted it's tinted moisturizer i think yeah and 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 completing my eyebrows i think i've lost the end of my eyebrows so i do you have a favorite cocktail no i don't like to drink it i'm so not interested in wine or any kind of drink it just doesn't taste good to me i'd way rather have ice cream what flavor ice cream? Practically anything. I mean, I, you know, there's not, a, I've never met a flavor I didn't like. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the world, what would it be? Mm -hmm. Labels. Because we made up race and colorism and so on. Uh, and gender, we made up gender. So I would do my best to remove labels and try to allow us to see our individual uniqueness and our shared humanity. And I think in a way COVID may help us do that consciousness-wise because it does not care about race or class or gender or national boundaries. Lou uh, is our male perspective on the show and he's been listening to this interview and then he comes out with his one big question. <laughs> no pressure, right? You know, especially for me being a black man in America, and you touched on a lot of topics, mm. you know, that's related to, to the current, uh, I guess, climate of the country. And my dad will always tell me, because he, he passed away in 2015, but when I was coming up, he would always tell me to go around older people and ask them what they would do, you know, like if they could relive their life, because that can possibly be my, be my foresight and things that I can focus on. Um, if you were 30 years old, what would be your primary like driving fo force and focus? Oh, that's hard because um, part of our uniqueness is the time we came up in, as you you know. So it's hard to to separate those things. But I think it would be trying earlier. I'm not sure I at that point had realized the. I I still thought there were boundaries. If you know what I mean, I still thought that. Um, there was such a thing as a national boundary that mattered as opposed to us all living on spaceship earth or i i maybe didn't yet understand that you don't learn from sameness you learn from difference hmm. so for my own security i was maybe too much looking for people who shared experience as opposed to people who had different experiences it took took me longer to to learn that well, thank, thank you. you. I wrote that down. You don't learn from sameness. You learn from difference. Differences. Mm. This is so amazing. One of my big takeaways, Gloria, just so you know, which I'm going to repeat everywhere, is equal pay for comparable work. 
I've never heard it said that way. And that is exactly how we should talk yes, about it. Yes, no, absolutely. Because there's such occupational segregation um, by, by gender and race. And, you know, so we, we, we don't think about it that way, but we should, especially when we look at all these people in boardrooms doing nothing or very, very little. <laughs> I loved what she said about comparable work And I also was fascinated when she said that she felt if she got married, it would be the last decision she'd ever make, which I think she was alluding to, you know, she wouldn't be able to have her own bank account, credit cards, work would be different. So many laws that have changed since then. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think very few of us today in 2021 know that as late as the 1970s, a woman could not get a credit card aside from one paired with her husband. Right? Like that is not very long ago. <laughs> I also thought, I mean, the thing I loved that Gloria said when she was talking about marriage is that her husband wasn't the great love of her life, that we can have many great loves. And I think that's just, it's important. It's an important thing to say. I, I have to tell you, so so my last book, as you know, is about work-life balance. And one of the things that always struck me is I felt like if someone had a confidence crisis, which is honestly an epidemic among women across our country, if if there is a confidence crisis, it's impossible to teach someone how to negotiate a salary or ask for a raise or advocate for themselves at home. It's all about self-esteem. And when I read her new book, actually, it's a new forward to her old book, which is an extraordinary book that I highly recommend everyone read called A Revolution from Within. This was like the Bible of self-esteem. It's not just like new agey meditation, yoga, you know, go have a bath. It was all about like statistics and stories and the history of self-esteem. And I, I can't even express how valuable the book is. Like I was highlighting almost every sentence. You know, Sam, I don't think we've really talked about this, but, you know, I've struggled with self-esteem since I was a little girl. I was teased when I was in first grade uh, for being overweight. And that really just kind of spiraled me into doubting my self-esteem for decades. Uh, But I do think it is a crisis and it's definitely a book to read. And that's really hard to believe knowing you now because you are so confident and it's such a big part of who you are. And I think so many women look up to you because you exude confidence. So what for you, Amy, what helped you recover that confidence? Well, it's interesting, particularly following up with this conversation with Gloria, because what helped me gain confidence was becoming a mother, because just what was really important crystallized for me, and I stopped giving a shit about everything else. Mm. Like, truly, like, I don't care what people think of me anymore, because it doesn't matter as long as I'm kind and I'm good to my friends and my family and the people I love and that I work with. Um, that's what's important. There must be more to it than that. Like, think about it. Most The problem is, Amy, that most women who are listening, who've become moms, didn't have that switch for them. In fact, a lot of women, when they become moms, lose their confidence. What was it for you? There must be more than just, I treat people well. I mean, what was it? When was it that you were like, I'm a badass? Like, when did that happen? I mean, honestly, like, I, well, yeah, I mean, yes, it's like, listen, I think the the biggest transition for me was when I left my corporate job to start The Riveter and I was going to start a small business and through a series of conversations decided to raise millions of dollars and build this national company and realizing that like, oh, like anybody can actually do this, right? Like you don't have to have 
a special degree. You don't have to have a special set of skills. Like you can just make a run at it and you can do it. So it sounds like you realized what you were capable of when you started a company. But I do, but I do go back to becoming a mother because that was a shift for me. And it was this thing of like, you've really got to clarify your priorities, how you spend your mental energy, all of these things. Because, and part of it was that I had four kids in four years. Like, let's not lie. Like I don't have space for a lot. Um, but, and maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some meta point, Sam, that like once I had kids, my own mortality and what it meant and my legacy started to mean more. So I was just like, what matters? For me, like I was, I always credit my confidence with having parents who made me think I like walked on water and could do anything. And when I've interviewed famous people, you know, leaders, whoever, people who excel in their fields, that is one thing they all have in common is that they had parents who made them feel they could be anything. And when I read Gloria's book, even though she had a lot of challenges in her childhood, I mean, she had a mom who struggled with mental illness and a father who was always on the road. They did make her feel, she even cites the fact that they never once spanked her. They never made her feel anything less than she could be anything. And they really, really gave her tons of love and confidence. And I do think that, you know, as parents, we'll we'll trip and fall and we'll make so many mistakes. But if you can give your kids that one gift, which is making them believe in themselves, then you've you've overcome a lot of weaknesses. I completely agree. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.